Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. Wednesday, one and all, it is I, the man known as Mr. Ubiquitous, the man known as the KDOC, the man known as the king of DC media, William Powell. Welcome back to another sizzling episode. This episode is brought to you by my column, DC Actors Examiner, find it via Google. Lots of entertaining articles out there. Go forth and read and subscribe. If you would like to advertise on this show, contact me at william400 at yahoo.com. You should be following me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is forward slash inside underbar acting. You should be following me on Facebook. My handle on Facebook is forward slash william.t.pal. Tonight, my guest is Baltimore native and Juilliard alumna Penny Johnson Gerald. She portrays Captain Victoria Iron Gates on the hit ABC television series Castle. She has portrayed Beverly Barnes on The Larry Sanders Show. She has portrayed Cassidy Yates on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And she has portrayed Sherry Palmer, the wife of the fictional senator and later president, David Palmer, on the Fox series 24. Penny has recently produced a black history-themed CD entitled 400 Years Remembered. She's talented in so many ways, and she is on this show. So let me go ahead and bring her on in. Good evening, Penny. Good evening, King. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing tonight? I am blessed and highly favored this evening. (laughs) Oh, I like to hear that. All right. So uh, where are you calling from, and how's the weather? Well, let's see. The last time I checked, it's probably, now we call this cold, so don't get, no haters allowed. It's probably 63 degrees. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, you're blessed. You are blessed and favored. I know, and I know it's cold there because you're in my hometown, so I know it's cold. Oh, yeah, it's been brutal. It's been brutal. Yeah, one of my actor friends told me to tell you Ray Earl says, hey. Hey, tell him I said hi. He should be listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Shout out to uh, Russell Jefferson. <laughs> yes. Oh, Russell. Hey, Russell. Give a hug to your sister, too. <laughs> All right. Now, wait a minute. Now, Are you going to pull out somebody else that I I know here? Are we no. related now? 
Okay, there yeah. you go. <laughs> well, it's Black History Month, and I know uh, you have produced a CD entitled 400 Years Remembered. Uh, so talk about what inspired you to create it. Well, first of all, I am so blessed to be married with an incredible musician, my husband, Graylin Gerald. And uh, uh-huh. so this is a, a co-production, the two of us. And, of course, because I don't sing, I'm really good at producing and giving orders. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the hat I wear on this particular seat, uh, this particular project. Um, uh, Graylin is the artist, and 400 years uh, remembered, we just decided that it is time for us to remind people not to forget not to forget so that we can go forward. So 400 Years Remembered is a, is a compilation of the uh, black spirituals. However, they are arranged in different uh, genres. Uh, there's classical, there's jazz, there's reggae, there's pop. And it's actually a beautiful um, CD. My husband and I actually do perform together, and again, I am not singing, but usually I will do uh, poetry from black, po- um, uh, black Voices and introduce the songs through that. But on the CD, it is a, a beautiful uh, CD with incredible music, arrangements, and a wonderful voice by my lovely Graylin Gerald. Wow, that uh, sounds inspiring. So how can fans get a copy? Well, actually, they can um, write directly to behind the world prod at gmail.com uh, give their request for a CD and they can pay through the PayPal system but if they would behind the world we spell it out completely prod p-r-o-d at gmail.com uh, what we usually do with this particular CD is that we uh, give 10% proceeds to a charity and this year we've decided that um, the charity uh, would be um, an organization that a friend is going actually all the way to Africa in April who will have direct contact with children who are less fortunate than most of us. And um, they'll be having dance classes, music classes, uh, something hands-on um, uh, interaction. And what I like about this particular uh, uh, um, agency is that it's directly given to the children. So that's a wonderful thing that's happening with the with the project this year. That's great because you know a lot of charities there's uh, there's so much overhead and you know every dollar doesn't necessarily go to who was it and uh, tended to go to. So that that's great to hear. Oh, absolutely. You have administration costs and things like that, but this. This is going directly in the hands of the children, so I'm truly, truly, I am excited about that. So now, based on your experience working on the CD, how would you teach black history differently in the schools? Well, actually, that's a good question because um, I am from the school system. I um, have been an educator for many years. I helped um, found the um, High School for the Arts out here in California, which is LOXA, uh, Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. And I was teaching voice and speech and Suzuki, and I thought, you know, it's Black History Month. Let me introduce some black poetry. 
And through that, something beautiful um, was was birthed, and that was being able to see uh, students of all ethnicity hunger and thirst and devour these beautiful poems in the um, uh, two-volume book of Black Voices, and to see a Caucasian 14-year-old or 17-year-old Caucasian female doing black mothers praying is amazing because what you do is you it's not getting in touch with your blackness per se it's getting in touch with your soul and so Hmm. I would I would embellish on that I would teach kids the importance of getting in touch with your soul of being in touch with what you are truly made of so that you can be empowered and not be oppressed because of it. Yeah, that's 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 very inspiring. Yeah, you see, be empowered. That's that's uh, that's great. That's and well, you know, that's like what you we say, need is to be people empowered. all different races. Yes, all different um, races, uh, females, males, and. You know, picking up a piece that you wouldn't ordinarily pick up because you're saying black voices, oh, for black people. But no, that's 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 not the case. Um, you know, James Walton Johnson's the creation is in that, and that <laughs> that speaks for itself. We're all here because of that. So um, I, I think that's uh, that would be my twist. I would also make sure that truth is told. Um, we have been sold a bill of goods. You know, we've flowered it a bit, and I think it's time that the real truth be told so that we can go forward. There are so many great stories out there. Just uh, There's documentaries out there, like uh, Hidden Colors is one that's out there. There's a lot of times, uh, even on Facebook and social media, you see all sorts of things that uh, even to this late date uh, I still haven't heard of. There's so many I saw one on uh, black entrepreneurs the other day. I mean, going back to the 1840s, you know, there's a free black man in like New Orleans area that has all these businesses and things. And it's amazing the stories that are out there. There, there are. And um, just the other day, uh, my husband and I had friends over, and we were watching uh, 12 Years a Slave, um, again, for the third time, but it was their first time. And they were hesitant about watching it because mm-hmm. – they said, I don't want to be reminded that we were slaves. I had to put that television on pause. Are you kidding me? You have to know your history so that you can move forward. And then I shared with him the history that was told to me by my great-grandmother. I was fortunate enough to to get that information from her before she passed. And in that conversation that I had with her, I found out that Yubi Blake was my cousin. I found out about the racism within race of how the Blakes and the Johnsons feud, had a family feud because one wanted to keep the the family bright and the other just didn't care. Um, I found out about my great-grandfather who was carried to Baltimore in a coffin because he helped his um, uh, ex slave owner, um, you know, in, in, in the battle when the South and the North were fighting, you know, he saved his life, and he killed a, a white man. And so he was saved and, and given in exchange um, uh, to wed the the slave owner's daughter, who was Dutch. So I learned a bunch of stuff. That's how we started mixing in the colors. Um, 
the stories go on. I was fortunate enough to get these stories, to appreciate these stories, and not turn away. But had I turned a blind eye and decided that, oh, don't remind me of anything of the past, I wouldn't know. And I'm stronger because of that. I don't go around deciding I'm going to hate a group of people who oppressed us. I go around knowing that I will never oppress an individual myself. That that takes a lot of strength. And, you know, um, uh, hearing you talk, it seemed like you need to uh, channel Alex Haley and to start writing and put these stories down. I mean, that that would be a great uh, story for us all to see. Oh, absolutely. Um, I was, uh, again, fortunate enough with another relative who uh, lived to be uh, 99 who sat down and told me these stories, and I I, I put her voice down, and I said, some of these stories you're telling me, I'm actually going to have to wait until someone expires before, <laughs> before oh they can be public. So, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. They, they they should be memorialized in a way so that they can go on forever, you know, in forms of film or book. But I do have to wait till till someone is not around before I share their stories. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, be a great miniseries. Okay, so let's uh, change gears a little bit here. So now, walk me through a typical day on the set of Castle. I mean, like, you know, what's your call time? What do they feed you? How long is your day? Do you have get into table reads? Do you how do you deal with the director? <laughs> All that good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, in episodic television, we we don't do table reads. Um, you go in and you learn what your blocking is or your rehearse, you know, bringing something to life. Um, with Castle, what we do is we do what's called a campfire. Um, Rob Bowman uh, gave that its title because it's more cozy, it's comfortable, you don't feel like you need to perform, you're just merely saying the words so that they can make sense, and then we rehearse. But a typical day is for Penny, um, and then it depends on whether hair has to be done or not. So let's imagine that hair has to be freshly washed, blow-dried, and uh, flat-ironed. That means Penny has to get up at 4 so that she can be at work by 4.45 or 5, uh, ready to start two and a half um, hours from that point. And then two and a half hours from that point, if I'm called in at 5 and the crew is called in at 7, we know we're going to go at least to 7 and possibly two more hours after that. So we're talking about a 14-hour day work day and add a couple of hours for getting ready, getting your hair done, your makeup done. Um, You're in for a 16-hour day. But you do not go hungry on the set of Castle. (laughs) (laughs) I think they feed you too much. Thank God for my workouts. (laughs) But we are blessed to have wonderful Tina who keeps that craft service table flowing and um, everyone is pretty health conscious there, um, you know, behind the scenes. So people are sharing green drinks or or um, special coffees or bringing in little delicacies. Um, it, mm-hmm. you know, as as um, cliche as this may sound, but I have to tell you that so much truth in it. Castle is a real family kind mm. of gig. Truly, a real family kind of gig. Hmm. Well, that's great. 
So I hope I answered that. Of course, that's just a blanket of, you know, saying generally what we do. But inside of that, you know, you're putting on your, your, your armor or putting on your costume so that you can transform into these characters that have been beautifully and uh, written, you know, by the, the writers and you're having a dialogue with the director, and then when the rest of the cast members are on the scene, the chemistry's flowing, and that's where the magic happens. Hmm. Do you deal with the same director, or do they bring in uh, directors for hire? We um, are fortunate that we have maybe six to seven different directors. Um, our in-house director, I can pretty much say, or directors, I can pretty much say, are our uh, our DP, Bill Rowe, and our executive producer, Rob Bowman. Um, other than that, people we have guest directors, but they tend to, they're repeated. John Tersky, you know, he's repeated. Uh, Larry Shaw is repeated. Kevin Hooks has been coming back. So we, we do have a myriad of directors. And they, they all have their own style, too. Hmm. Okay. Now, you've been very busy over the years. What's the, what's the key to getting cast consistently? Because I, I looked at your, your illustrious career, and I don't see any gaps. I mean, you've just been just making it work for the last 30 years. So what's been your secret? Okay, I'm going to put this out there. And you just have to accept it as truth coming out of uh-huh. my mouth. Okay. God, family, and then the career. (laughs) In other words, prioritize. Really understand what's most important. Um, This it is a job, which is a career, because I love doing it. I don't see myself doing anything else. But it certainly cannot be more important than what happens in your household which cannot be more important with your uh, direct relationship with uh, being morally sound and grounded. And um, so I I have to give all accolades there first. Um, Past that, I think that you cannot be so um, jaded in that you uh, that's my dog Chester he's decided that I'm too much on the phone and he wants to play you can't be so jaded in that there's no need for you to continue studying or no need for you to get um experience by um you know um meeting different people uh people watching uh being um just in tune with the things around you um, how they feel, how they taste, what they do to you, and so education. I said all that to really say education and educating in whatever arena you're in. Mine just happens to be acting, and so I make sure that I'm on top of my uh, my game by being involved in any way that I can be. Absolutely, absolutely. Having those priorities, that's that's very important. Yes. So how how do you think that uh, social media has changed the acting business? Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> it truly has <laughs> changed it. It has changed it in that the fan base. Your fan base is crucial. It's crucial in that 
you can make a decision to be completely hands-on or pretend they don't exist. And mm-hmm. I believe it is a, a grave mistake to pretend that the fans don't exist because they are your, they're your viewers. They're the ones who are being fed weekly. And when they cease being fed, they're going to go to another table. Mm-hmm. So it, you you have a direct line to them. Um, I just I'm I'm madly in love with my fan base. I get to um, chat with them. I try to dedicate 15 minutes a day to answering you know requests. Um, I find myself um, in my gracefully aging <laughs> career. I find myself uh, giving being a, a sage in, in the sense of giving um, or imparting wisdom, and, and that is only my experience. I don't profane to be, proclaim to be uh, the wisest person on earth, but I'm definitely not the dimmest bulb, you know, in the room. And so I get to share that. So it has changed in that the fans are directly hands-on and... You get a charge. You are um, energized. You you feel that you have an accountability. That's the word, accountability. And I like being accountable as an actor, as an entertainer, when there are people of all ages, of all colors, of 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 both sexes watching, and I'm accountable for what I'm putting out there, what I'm portraying. And I hope it comes across as truth so that if I can speak into someone's life who's having an issue, you know, and they see something um, on Castle that's that's helping them deal with something, uh, then I feel really good about my job. Really, really good. Yeah, that's that's good to know that uh, that what you're doing actually matters. There's actually a purpose to it rather than just mindless entertainment. Oh, it definitely matters. I mean, uh, you know, life before Castle, and when we go back to 24, you had art imitating life, and then you had life imitating art. And I, I, I still today, you know, believe that uh, 24 was definitely a format uh, or a door that that was open, um, opening the minds of viewers, uh, preparing them for what we have today, which is a black president. And so um, we 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 speak when when we're in front of your in your living room and all over the world, we are speaking into the lives of people, and that. There should be an accountability to that. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm going to play a hypothetical game here. If you were an actor starting out today, let's say you live in old a city called Baltimore, and <laughs> <laughs> how would you pursue an acting career? I mean, where would you start? I would start in the theater. If I was a young person, mm-hmm. um, meaning pre-college, then I would get involved in the drama department at school. And if the school did not have one, I would pester my parents as to what community theater is available to me. And I'd go there, and if I'm not good enough at that point, I'd tell them I will sell tickets. 
I will work concessions. Let me just be around it so I can rub shoulders. If I am out of high school and I am trying to find a college to go to, I would go to a college that does have that. If money is a problem, I would make sure I'm involved in a community college because in the community college you can uh, start building a resume with theater and then you get hooked up with uh, those people in the film department and then you can get some footage on you. It's um, very sad that there's a catch-22 in this business in that you can't get a job unless you've had a job, but you can't have had a job unless you get one. And so getting a, a resume built and getting footage on yourself is really important. And so I would exhaust all of those um, avenues or, that are available to me um, and get that done. And um, today, with the digital cameras and all, you can get some friends who are dedicated and look for scenes and put them on film. Examine yourself and put it out there. And just like we were talking about social media, uh, right. Facebook is wonderful. You know, you should get it out there. People are listening. I get requests through Twitter. People who are auditioning all over the world, they ask for advice. And you know what? I give it to them. It's not costing me anything. Right, It's the pleasure of being able to help someone. So um, I would say do that first. I would not encourage someone to get on a bus or train or plane or their car and drive directly to New York or drive directly to L.A. I would not suggest that. I would say exhaust your community, exhaust your city, exhaust your state, and then you can make a move. Absolutely, absolutely. Kind of have that solid foundation, you know, really have the the skills behind you and uh, build from a position of strength. Yes, and you need that because it, when all else fails, because this business is not very kind. Um, yeah. I've been blessed that it has been kind to me. But um, when, it, when it's not that kind to you, it feels really good when you know that you can just go home and take some time out and then hit it again. But don't burn any bridges there. Um, you know, create create a support system there so when you do go back you're re-energizing absolutely absolutely so i want to switch gears toward directing so i know you were directed by clint eastwood and absolute power what did you like about being directed by eastwood first of all what an incredible man (laughs) um Mr. Eastwood is very clear. Actually, he's very good at casting. And I say that because when you arrive on his set, there's not a lot of rehearsing going on. I remember when I was doing that, he says, oh, I want you to meet um, uh, Ed. He was speaking of um, Ed Harris. And I had met Mr. Harris when I did Swing Shift many, many years ago. And we were sitting in the makeup trail, and we were talking, and and Clint came in, and he says, okay, I want you to do that. And I was like, what? What what were we doing? Do what? (laughs) We were just communicating. So we we go, and we're shooting, 
And he's a believer that you get the best first. So mm-hmm. he's not a man who's going to do 10, 20 takes. You, you might get two, but really it's one. Mm-hmm. So you have to know your stuff. So when you're working with someone like Clint Eastwood, you have to feel confident that you've, you've done your homework so that when you arrive on the set, you're not searching for words or you're, 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 you're not confused as to what this scene is about because he expects you to just come and do it. Now, mind you, he's not a drill sergeant in that he's this, you know, militant type. You better know your stuff. He's so laid back because he's trusting himself in that he chose casting um, properly. Yeah, he's. Uh, I guess he'll do one take and then maybe one for safety. <laughs> and he doesn't forget anyone, and, he, and he's so generous. I remember my last day of shooting, I was in the uh, trailer, you know, taking off my jewelry and my clothes and all. And he says, is, is this your last day? I said, yes, it is. He says, oh, I, I, I want to I give you something. I, I said, oh, no, you don't have to. He said, do you like that suit you were wearing? And I said, I love it. He said, it's yours. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh, you <laughs> have to fight people to get your clothes. And he's, like, coming to the trailer to to make sure you're gifted something. And that's 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 really that's rather nice. Oh yeah, that's 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 fantastic. So, what's your approach to directing? Well, um, <clears throat> unlike Mr. Eastwood, I'm a drill sergeant. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I'm from the old school in in, in Baltimore. I was in the Baltimore uh, circus there. Um, I was at the the Arena Playhouse. Um, I was at center stage, you know, I did everything that I could possibly do there. I did a lot of uh, improvisation there. And then when I went to Juilliard, I honed in those skills. So I, when I approach directing, I take from everything that I've done because I can't assume that the actor is going to know what I know. So I try to have many classes since I'm a, a teacher of the arts as well. So I will warm actors up physically and then I'll warm them up vocally and do exercises around and then uh, share my vision. And I talk an awful lot um, in that we don't leave the table um, when dealing with plays. I'd, I, I spend a good four to six weeks at the table just reading before we get on our feet. Because wow. by the time we get on our yeah, by the time we get on our feet, scripts are mm-hmm. out of your hand and then you can play because it's a playground. The stage is a playground and usually you don't have kids coming to the playground, you know, with their hands tied behind their backs and things like that. So scripts are like, you know, that's a you know, it's behind your back, your hands tied. You want to play. You want to be able to roll and 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 get on a swing and go high. You want to be able to fall down and scrape your knee. Well, you you can't yeah. do that with with things. So I I I, I try to create a playground for the actor um, after we do this intellectual thing at a table and uh, find out what they can bring. But I do go in with a clear vision, and actors um, oftentimes 
they will move my journey will be um interrupted slightly or detoured not interrupted detoured slightly because an actor is bringing what he or she has and that is so exciting when the two come together and i never stop talking with my actors um they are very very important to me nothing else matters but what's going on with my actors so um a very comfortable environment and exciting uh, is what I like to um, to set first, and then I just go at it. Yeah, it's like you say, it's a playground. And uh, once you're off book, I mean, that's to me, that's where the real the real work begins. I mean, the real progress is made, really. Yeah, because then you're you're you're. It's good to get out of your head when you're sitting at that table, you know. And as actors, we like to be philosophical, and we talk about this deep thought of this you know of the history of the actor but at the end of the day if it doesn't translate to action on the stage <laughs> you can toss it out <laughs> right you can yeah, totally absolutely. toss it out so uh uh that is my my approach um i i love directing i think i am probably a better director than i am actor really Oh, oh yeah. I that definitely is my my calling. Unfortunately, it doesn't pay the bills. Uh <laughs> I love directing. I again, I just get so exciting watching the the inner works of other people. It's very exciting to me. Hmm. Okay, so we're down to about um I guess we got about 9 minutes. So I kind of, I think you kind of touched on your approach to acting. So let's kind of move forward into some auditions you've done in the past. Like, let's talk about your audition you did for Twenty Four. <laughs> I had no idea what Twenty Four was. I was actually doing a pilot. I had just been cast in a pilot already, uh, Citizen Baines, um, with uh, James Cromwell. And um, I was called in to audition for that, for 24. Now, coming off of um, the Larry Sanders show, one beautiful thing that Gary Shandling instilled was just being able to talk to people and not act. And that I've had stay with me since the Larry Sanders show. And I decided I was not going to act ever anymore yeah. in life. And so I went in and I met uh, Joel Cerno, and I think Howard Gordon was in the room at the time. And um, I dressed what I thought was presidential-like because, you know, I, I don't know what a senator's wife dresses like, but I know what a, a president's wife would dress like. So I went in, and I'm usually off book when I go in. And I... They they said something. They want to start, and and I will start my audition without people really knowing that I'm starting, because then I'm able to hook them in that I'm actually communicating with them, and before they know it, it's like, oh, she's someone else, hmm. and we're talking, and so I went in, and I didn't think that much of you know that. I just thought, oh, sweet little thing. Because it was a sweet little scene. Mm 
I just said David or something, um, you need to be ready. Something so simple like that. And then afterwards, and before I said goodbye, they said we've we, we've been fans of your work, and I was thinking, oh, okay, maybe I could just got this job. They're telling me they were fans. So I walked away feeling good that they, you know, had been fans of my work, and then I was told that I had gotten this job. But I said, well, can I, can I do it? And they said, we, we need to check with these other people. And these other people, they let me fly down from Seattle and go shoot the show. And then I came back and they said, so you're on that job with Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. I said, I, I, I don't think so. They said, yes, you're on 24. You know, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland's on that show. And I said, oh, my goodness, he is? Because <laughs> I didn't know. And then it was when it was picked up and the character just blew up. I had no idea what I was in. I had hmm. no idea whatsoever. I uh -huh. was in the role of a lifetime and didn't know until my fans told me. <laughs> That's the way it works I, usually. <laughs> I, until my fans told me, until I started traveling all over the world, and when I was in Italy, we were in Florence, uh, my husband and I, and this man um, uh, was so saying something to his wife and he used the B word and I thought, oh my gosh, sweetheart, we need to get away. He's calling his wife up. Mm. And my husband turns to me and he says, no, he's not. He's talking about you. I said, what? And that's when I learned that everyone in the world was calling me this B word and it was a compliment. <laughs> oh, that so, means you did your job. That means you did your job. Oh, <laughs> I said, okay, okay. The J.R. Ewing of television. So I learned to, um, you know, in, embrace it. But um, I didn't go into the audition thinking, i got to get this. I stopped doing that a long time ago when I got to live. Yeah. yeah. It's so because subjective. It really is, and you know, I had I had tested for four uh, shows the week before the Larry Sanders show, and when they asked me to come in an audition, I was through. I said, "No, I'm not coming in," and my husband said, "But you are," and I was like, "Ah!" I go in. I don't even read the copy. I don't memorize it. In other words, I just have it in my hand. There's a bunch of people sitting around, and the phone is ringing off the hook during my audition. Hmm. And I said, oh, that is so rude. It rings again. And I say to Gary, I said, are you going to answer that? He said, no, you can't. No, he says, no. I said, okay, then I am. And I answered, I said, Gary Shandling's office. And may I speak to Gary? And I said, no, he's in a meeting. And the meeting is with me. May I take a mm. message? And I hung up, got my car, thanked them very much, sorry, got my car, started taking my makeup off, got a phone call. I don't know what you did in that room, but they want you to come back, like, right now. <laughs> I said, right now my makeup's off. Well, go back. I go back. I meet Roy London. I get back in my car. I get a call. Well, they want you. I go, I'm not testing for another show, and I'm going off on a tangent. I don't want to test. I don't want to this. They, my agents finally say, Penny, if you would calm down, you would hear me. They want you to come. This is on a Friday. They want you to come to work on Monday. You have the show. There's no test deal. You 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 have a series regular role, and you don't have to test. 
And so, wow. so that's been my my thing is just not to um, not to fret. You know, yeah, I didn't well, fret you, with you, Castle. You know, right. I just knew I had the job, and they didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You say you put put God first, and uh, everything falls into place. We're down to about three and a half minutes. Um, Definitely gonna have have to have you back, but before we get to there, let's talk a little bit about in these last three and a half minutes. Touch on how you got Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, uh, working with uh, Cosby on the Cosby Show. Then I have a couple quick bonus questions, so let's see if we can squeeze. Okay, about the real fast. Then, yeah, Deep Space Nine. Um, <clears throat> I went in, and Avery Brooks was in the room. We had this great chemistry. I, again, was not going in, but my husband, who, uh, you know, masquerades as my manager, um, <laughs> is a big Trekkie, and he said, please, could you just go in for me? I mean, I wasn't into Star Trek. I was from Juilliard. I didn't even take it seriously. I go in. I have this great <laughs> chemistry with Avery. They call me back and say, um, you got the job. It just seems like every time I don't care, I get the job. Uh, Mr. Cosby called me. Um, uh, that was an offer, uh-huh. and it's something that I needed during that time because I think it was right after I had um, uh, I had uh, lost a baby, and so I I needed to be medicated in heavily into doing what I do, and so oh. I went to New York. I had a great time. Uh, what was beautiful is that I've never been in the presence of real royalty, and mm-hmm. I felt that that's what the, the Cosbys were. It wow. was royalty. Felicia and Bill were royalty, and I felt like I had just made it. That was just a beautiful thing. So I did I hit all of the ones that you asked me about? No, okay. And no, so now, no, you got those two, so I had two bonus questions. Um, are you a scandal fan and how's Chester? Oh, well, Chester is on the other side of the door and he's under trying to figure out why mommy is not letting him in and he's so wonderful and I love him and I can I have not gotten into scandal yet. And I think a part of me is not into scandal yet cuz I probably just want to play that role, you know? <laughs> but I hear she is trefab. And um, I am going to watch it. I did watch it once a time. Um, and then I thought, because mm, I had um, sold a, a show to NBC. It's called Baltimore. And it was mm-hmm. based on the four women running Baltimore. And so secretly I felt like Scandal had, like, uh, got on the books and, um, you know, that, that could have maybe left, that could leave Baltimore out. And so I don't want to be... Um, influenced by what's happening with Scandal, because I'm still trying to pitch Baltimore, because I think it's fabulous no. the four women. So I know we have those little two bonus questions, and I know you're about to close, but I would be remiss if I didn't try to give a little plug for my workout pra- uh, program. And so I welcome people Ab- to join absolute, me. Absolutely. I just love it when uh, my guests come on here and plug their stuff. I'm all about that. I really That's a show I want to watch. So uh, before I let you go, just uh, talk about how fans can follow you. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter. I am B-T-W-P-R-O-D. That is actually me, verified. 
or they can follow me on Facebook, PJJ's 50-Day Workout Challenge or Penny Johnson Gerald. I, again, fans are very important to me, and um, the 15 minutes that I take to get back to you, I do look through them, and I try to choose who really needs to hear from me because sometimes there are people who are hurting, and they just tend to be the people I, I want to reach out to first um, to make sure that they're okay. Um, and um, I would love if people would um, support the, the CD so that we can help send lots of money to Africa. And, again, that's yeah. behind the world prod at gmail.com. And it is free shipping for uh, domestic orders. All right. All right, then. Okay. Hey, well, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Well, it has been a wonderful um, uh, pleasure meeting you. And now that I have touched the king, I feel really good. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, well, have a blessed (laughs) night and a blessed week. Okay, I will, and same to you. God bless. All right. God bless. And my fans out there, let me leave you with this quote from James, uh, the first chapter, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Good night.